It's a joy to be with you on this great evening as we embark upon what will be a very, very full week with courageous churchmen upon us. I believe the last count was right around 520 or 25 or so men who have registered for the conference. And uh, that will be a choice time for us to be able to encourage these brothers in the Lord. They're coming from all over, and we do want to be an encouragement to them. And thank you so very much for your part in this. Not only all of the things that you're going to be doing to serve them, those of you who are involved, but all of you who are going to pray that the Lord would do a great work in all our hearts. So thank you so very much. Let me give a little bit of a background to what I want to say from the Word of God tonight. It's going to be more of a selected scriptures topical message that I have entitled Courageous Churchmen. <laughs> has a ring to it, doesn't it? <laughs> and it's very original. What I've also done, though, is I've put uh, a parenthesis uh, with the word church so that we're really targeting our message tonight to courageous men, courageous men in general. And here's a little background on how I arrived at what I wanted to speak to you regarding. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jerry, who does a phenomenal job on Tuesday mornings at 6 a.m., with grace and granite. And I also understand that at six o'clock there are a number of ladies, not only in the congregation, but around uh, our country, who actually also tune into the live stream. And because the ladies are listening, I think we call it grace and granite for the men and lace and granite for the ladies. <laughs> So on that particular Tuesday morning, as Jerry was teaching, he was on the subject of these men in our church and how we are to minister to them and some of the things that they are to understand as men. And I had already given the title of the message for tonight. I'd already given it to those who are going to be printing it up courageous churchmen or courageous men, and my particular scripture text was going to be 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. And what does Pastor Jerry do that morning? He says, open in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. So let me encourage you to listen to that message. Let's close in prayer. No, well, the first thing I thought was, well, there goes my text, because there are a number of men who are listening, both live and on live streaming, and so perhaps I should think something else for tonight. And then, a few minutes later, Pastor Jerry said, and oh, by the way, I'm not going to be here next Tuesday for Grace and Granite, and he looked over at me and said, Will you be here? And I said, yes. He said, well, Lance will be teaching you on that morning, and which is not uncommon. We do that to each other often. 
not to put each other on the spot, but you know, a man always has to be ready. And when I ask him at the close of that morning, what is the subject in the flow of topics that we're covering? And he said, we're going to be talking on that particular Tuesday about men in prayer, our men in prayer. And so I wanted to think and ponder and pray about that particular message to them. And when I settled on what I wanted to do the following Tuesday, which was just this past Tuesday, I did follow through with that which I intended to do. And I was told later that there were a number of men who were very appreciative of that and wanted a little bit larger of an audience for them to hear something like that. And additionally, apparently some glitch in the process, the first 20 or so minutes uh, was not able to be captured. So there went my introduction. So I decided that maybe this was the perfect time to, uh, to give that message to you again uh, so that you would have it captured and for us to be able to see and perceive what we want our men to do and to be in this church, but also on the eve of Courageous Churchmen, some points that we want to do to pray for these 525 men who are coming. And not just in their pastoral ministries, but they as men, men in their own homes like you are men in your own homes. And so that was the method of my madness for this particular time tonight in God's Word. And because I really do want to talk a little bit about 1 Corinthians 16, I'll use those two verses as the introduction to the message tonight, all right? And then I want to give you three points. And maybe the title, yes, Courageous Men, but possibly another title, A Man as Priest in His Home. A Man as Priest in His Home. That'll be the substance of the message tonight. And I want to talk from three passages through the bulk of the message in the book of Romans, in the book of Hebrews, and in the book of 1 Peter. So I'm going to take you topically to those three places so that you and I can grab a perspective on how to be a spiritual sacrificer. Spiritually speaking, to sacrifice your time and your effort and your giftedness and your desires, particularly as men, to be, to be able to pray intercessory prayers for your people. Now, of course, we're talking about the greater body of Christ. We're talking about the family of God. And we do want to be consistent in our prayers for our church and for our pastors, for our elders, for deacons, and generally for the men and women and children of our church. But I want to specifically target you men, especially those of you who are either preparing to or who will one day be husbands and dads. And I want us to focus our time with the bulk of the time we have on that. But I want to really take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 with some introductory remarks because they are powerful, these two verses. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 13 and 14. 
Now, it's curious to me that the Apostle Paul is ending this first letter to the Corinthians by addressing the whole of the church, the entirety of the church body. But notice how he does it in these two verses. He doesn't say anything about, now let me address my closing arguments to the men. It's as though he's talking to the men to be sure, because the men are the leaders of the church. But he doesn't specifically say that. He's talking to the whole of the Christian body in that local expression in Corinth. And this is what he says. I'll read from the ESV. Be watchful, verse 13 says. Of course, the NASB says, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. And then verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. It's interesting to note that be watchful or be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, all have the characteristics, even the, the words that Paul is choosing to pen here, of a military scene. These are military words in the Greek text of Holy Scripture. This is a, this is a spiritual warfare. And this is what the Corinthians are called upon to be, and though it isn't noted, as I said, this is clearly references, principles, commands for the men of Corinth. And therefore, they are commands for the men of Grace Emanuel Bible Church. Whether you're currently married or have children or not, these are our marching orders. If we can borrow that military language, these are our marching orders. This is what we're to do to lead the women and the children. They deserve no less than that from us. And it's quite interesting to me that when he gives these staccato-like commands, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love, has its roots in the Old Testament. Why do I say that? Because these particular themes about being watchful and about standing firm in the faith and particularly that phrase, act like men, be strong. We might even say that that particular section of verse 13 could readily and probably should be translated, act like men, slash, or act like men, dash, be strong. As though it's one concept. Why? Well, because that first phrase, which says, act like men, begs the question, doesn't it? Well, if I'm to act like a man, how does a man act? And the answer that Paul gives to the Corinthians is this, by being strong. Be strong. It's also additionally very, very interesting that because it does find its roots in the Old Testament, that particular phrase, act like men, be strong, only two Greek words in the Greek text of 1 Corinthians, but in the Old Testament, 
it has that very similar language. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, those same two Greek words are used. And they're used in a number of places in Israel's history, especially in those accounts of battle, where Israel is called upon or is about to be called upon to wage war, particularly in the possession of the land that God had promised Israel. In fact, I think it would be good, even though I'm putting you know, two messages into one, I, I do realize that, to actually, in these introductory remarks, take us to the Old Testament so you can see the number of times that ancient Israel, and of course, we're not Israel. Uh, the Israel of old is Israel, and the church isn't Israel, but our Old Testament is there for us to be so very instructive, and it's there in the Old Testament, in the beginning of our Bibles, that we are told very, very clearly as the men were being commanded by their leaders to act like men and to be strong because you are going to go out and possess that land and you are going to do it by acting like men and by being strong in battle. Which, of course, is exactly what the women and the children need from us. So much so that you and I could say, if we're living as males which is a confusing concept apparently in our world, that if we're acting like males, then that inherently means that you and I must be strong and courageous. So let's go to our first little passage, Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And honestly, because of the sake of time, I'm just going to read some of these make a comment, maybe sentence or two, but be able to have you resonate with me on the concept of what a man is like if I'm to act like a man. And in Deuteronomy chapter 31, this same construction in the Greek Old Testament has that same idea, act like a man, be strong. Act like a man, be strong. Chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, verse 23, And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous. That's our phrase right there, 1 Corinthians 16. Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. And then notice this, my friends, I will be with you. Yes, act like a man to be sure. Be strong, be courageous, but don't forget, I am with you. I will guide you. I will be the penetrating, powerful spiritual and physical force so that you will get the job done. I will be with you. It's a very interesting tripart formula of the Old Testament. Mentioned many, many times. This is only taking sort of one of those of the three phrases that are often used in our Old Testament scriptures. And that is, I will be your God 
You will be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. That's mentioned many times in the Old Testament. They call it the tripartite formula. That's, that's what Israel, that's what they longed for. That's what they needed. Remember when Moses said, how can we go forward? How we're going to know that, that we can conquer? How, how are we going to be able to do this? And, and I've got to know where you are and, and whether or not you're going to be here and if you're going to help us. And God gave him the assurance, I will go with you. Sometimes even this, I will go before you. I'll, I'll pave the way. And this is what it's saying there. Look at Deuteronomy. It's, it's, it's so incredibly important that you and I see this. I want to, if I, if I had more time, I could show you more. But first Chronicles, first Chronicles. That's a good place to go. First Chronicles. Chapter 28. First Chronicles 28, 20. Then David said to Solomon, his son, this is the charge of David to Solomon. Listen to those first words. Be strong and courageous and do it. You're, you're, you're going to build this this temple, it's going to be magnificent. God is going to be honored. You're going to follow me. Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed for the Lord God, even my God, is with you. There it is again, his personal presence. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house of the Lord is finished. And of course, you know, Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. This is probably the most familiar to all of us, myself included. This might even be a memory passage for some of us. Joshua 1.6, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. Those are, those are mentioned so many times. Look at chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 25. Joshua Joshua 10.25, And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord God will do it to all your enemies against whom you fight. That's another way of saying, I will be with you. I will take care of you. Psalm 27. Psalm 27. This is not just in the historical books, but it's also in the Psalms, the songbook of Israel, Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. 
Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Chapter 31, Psalm 31, verse 24. Look at how it ends very similarly. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. And I would think that perhaps the keystone passage in the Old Testament, if there were a choice to have one, it might be in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. And these men, the reason I'm giving them to you, and perhaps you can write these down or have them in your Bibles, underlining them, seeing them, meditating on them, because these are our marching orders. 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 12. And I like this because it speaks to us even in the context of our women and children. 2 Samuel 10, 12. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people. That's, of course, the people of Israel, but that includes, of course, the women and the children. Let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. Don't you love that? That might even be uh, something that could be crocheted and, and put on the wall of your house. This is, the, this is the man word of the day. This is, this is who we are to be. And when I was thinking about how Pastor Jerry did an excellent and brief little exposition of that in Grace and Granite, I just thought, this is, this is not only what we're all to be and to do, but this is really our siren song for Courageous Churchmen this week. And this is the song for all of us as men in this church going forward. Be strong and courageous. Act like a man. Now, sometimes that phrase can be used in a sort of unflattering way. Come on, act like a man. But when you put the spiritual tone to it. I will be with you. I will go before you. I will energize you spiritually. I will make sure that you, as a man leading his home, leading his people, leading his church, are to be able to do exactly what Scripture says by being alert, by standing firm in the faith, and by letting all that we do be done in love. And the more I meditated on this, the more I realized, hey, wait a minute, all of these things add up, all of these phrases, to three very, very specific areas of life for us as men. And the first one is our ministry. Our ministry. Whatever ministry that is. Yours may not be a ministry like this of preaching or teaching. It may not be something up front, but you have a ministry because you have a family. You, you have a home. And even if you don't have those yet, you are a ministry unto yourself because you are a ministry. You, you go out and minister to other people. 
And I think that's really what be watchful and be on the alert is. That's, that's my ministry, my ministry of alertness, my ministry of being a, a watchman on the wall uh, looking for an encroaching army, looking for the, the potential danger signs. And when I think of stand firm in the faith, the faith, that's the body of revealed truth, that's the doctrine that we confess, I think of not only our calling as a ministry to each other, but also not just a calling to do ministry as important as being, as important as being alert and being watchful is, this stand firm in the faith means that you and I have to have a common confession, a common confession. We have to confess certain doctrinal verities, truths, non-negotiable truths that that we will be willing to die for. The great doctrines of Christianity. That's what it means. Stand firm in the faith. And we are allowed by God to do so. He is energizing us to affirm certain right doctrines and to not veer away from those. And we are to take such doctrines and we are to teach them to our children we are to teach them to our wife, and we are to be those people who take this doctrinal set of very clear principles that you and I live by, and we will pass it along to the next generation. That's what we're called to do. It's a common confession. It's a calling, and it's a confession. And thirdly, when I see that phrase in verse 14, which I think is so wonderful, because we're talking about being a man, we're, we're talking sort of military language, we're talking about the idea of, you know, all of this strong language about acting like a man and being strong, and then this beautiful verse 14 that wraps it into a beautiful bow, let all that you do be done in love. So be a loving, alert watchman. Being a, a loving, gracious Stand of doctrinal truth as firm as you possibly can. And if you're going to do that in a loving way, you have to do that in community. Community. We need each other. We've got to band together, particularly as men. We've got to band together for the sake of our women and children. So it's a calling, yes. It's a calling that leads to a common confession, yes, and we have to do that in community. And the more I, I thought through that and, and began to see some things, I realized what we're really talking about is being a spiritual priest in your home. You're the leader. You're the pastor, as it were, of your home. You're, you're taking this this concept, men, of I've got a calling to lead my people. And, and I've got a confession to pass on to the next generation. And I'm going to do it in the midst of the community. I don't have to do it alone. I can do it with other men and be strengthened by them and myself as a strengthening agent for them. And it began to dawn on me that this Old Testament language of being strong, be courageous, can be joined to the idea of the actual, literal 
priests of Israel. And you know, when there was a priest, particularly even the high priest, and not just on a particular year, but especially on one great day of the year, Yom Kippur, that that priest, when the, when the penitent sinner was coming to the priest and he knew that he was a sinner and that he was saying to God, I am bringing my animal sacrifice to the priest and he would place his, his hand as a representative transference of his knowing his sin and that was to be placed on the head of that animal as a symbolic reference so that when that sinner, that human being who was that sinner, particularly for us in our context of what we're talking about tonight, the men, that priest would slay that animal and that animal would die in place of, in the stead of that sinner through the intercessory prayers of that priest. You can look at many Old Testament passages and that priest was the go-between between God and his people. And that priest would be involved in the process of having sinners come to him and they would take that animal. There were other sacrifices, but this is a poignant one for illustration's sake. And he would put his hand on the head of that animal as a symbolic transference. This is, this is the death I should have died. We sang about that tonight. This is a death that I should have died. And, and this death is going to be symbolically transferred onto that animal so that the animal would die in my place. And the priest then would pray intercessory prayers so that God would be pleased so that when the animal died and when that smoke was rising to the nostrils of God, God would be pleased because that worshiper, though a sinner, was doing what God required. He was bringing that required offering. And do you realize that as we come into the New Testament, though we're not Israel, we're the church, we're in the New Covenant community, the New Testament writers apparently didn't have very much of a problem at all, it seems, to, to take the literal killing of an animal, just to use that as one example, and to take it and say, there in the new covenant are those who are going to be involved, and we'll show you these, as a way, spiritually speaking, to conduct your ministry as a spiritual priest unto God. Want to see some examples of that? Let's go to the book of Romans. We can start, of course, in Romans chapter 12. And everything I've said up to this point, believe it or not, is just an introduction. In Romans 12, Paul apparently doesn't have any problem using this Old Testament language of sacrifice. Now, it's been bathed in New Covenant language it's different. It's not like that. We're not Israel. But as the New Covenant community, he borrows that language and takes it from a literal perspective to a spiritual one. And notice what he says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, all that God has done in your life and mine, 
And that's what he describes in the first 11 chapters here in Romans, to present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice. Do you hear that language, sacrifice? But in this case, it's a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Those are key words. That God is holy and that he expects you to do what he commands. And that is take the, the animal sacrifice to the priest and the priest then as a symbolic nature, would see this symbolic transference of your sin on the head of that animal, and that animal would be killed, and as that smoke was rising to God, God would be pleased with the sweet aroma in his nostrils because that worshiper was being obedient, and the priest was praying intercessory prayers for that individual that God would, in fact, find this sacrifice pleasing to himself. That's this language. And he adds here, which is your spiritual worship. This is your spiritual service of worship. So in that vein, Paul, borrowing this language from the Old Testament, even talks about the Gentiles and God calling him to have that kind of ministry, a kind of spiritual priesthood. Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15, beginning in verse 16. Because, breaking a little bit in verse 15, in the middle of that verse, because of the grace given by God to me, he says, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And that's a key word there, minister. That's where I've taken that language now. The first of these three parts of being an intercessor to your people, your wife and your children, as a man, is to say it is a ministry. That's your ministry. Paul's ministry was to be called by God, Acts 9, to go to the Gentiles and present to them the gospel, and that was his ministry to them. This is the way to be saved. This is the way to have eternal life. This is the way for you to go to heaven. And he's saying that this grace by God was given to me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service, not of literal animals, but in the priestly service of the gospel of God, communicating the gospel message, the death the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the enthronement of Jesus Christ. That's what I offer to you Gentiles, Paul is saying. So that, in order that, the offering, notice that language, the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. Notice that, that Old Testament language, acceptability. The, the ministry of Paul of offering up the Gentiles to God. Can you see Paul sort of taking the Gentiles, as it were, all of them, into his hands, and he lifts his eyes to heaven, and he says, Lord, here is my offering. I pray that as this offering comes to your nostrils, it will be acceptable to you. That's what he's saying here. Acceptable, and not only acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, that my ministry is sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have 
reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And how is it done? By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, by the way, that's much of modern-day Albania, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. That's his ministry. What's your ministry? Well, you might say, you know, I I come to church, and I, I do this, and I serve here, and those are wonderful things. But your first ministry is what's happening at home. That's your your first ministry. If if you're a man in our midst or maybe a young man and you're aspiring to this, these are principles that you should learn now so that you can be prepared for this. I kept thinking of this idea of these priesthood components, and I remembered a book in my library called A Man as Priest in His Home by Sam Waldron. I found it helpful. And one of those ways that a spiritual priest in that spiritual priesthood of old in Israel, one of his main labors was his intercessions for those persons who were coming to him. And he was praying for them as the go-between between God and them. And Sam Waldron says this about our duties as courageous men. Here's what he says. Intercession means that a man as a priest in his home should pray particularly for his wife, his children, and the needs of his household. We ought to pray for other matters as well, but whatever else may remain undone in our prayer life, we must pray particularly and with a special focus for our wife and children. He says if we do not pray for them, we should feel guilty. How can we stand in the light of Scripture and even in the light of our own consciences and deny our wives and our children the most effectual means for their welfare? He says, as our names are impressed on the heart of the Savior, the names of our wives and children must be indelibly impressed on our hearts so that we cannot pray without bearing them before the throne of grace. So true. So true. I mean, we're going to have 525 courageous churchmen on our campus in a flash. But we have hundreds of courageous men in our midst already. We're called upon as men to lead the women and the children. And the best way we can do that, I suspect, is the word and prayer. The word and prayer. You know, I know that because in Ephesians chapter 5, it says it explicitly. Husbands, Ephesians 5.25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he, Christ, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. 
so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. It's almost as though, brothers, we are offering our wife back to God. Thank you for giving her to me. I, I bring her back to you through my intercessory prayers so that my leadership of her, my teaching her, the doctrines of truth, which we'll talk about in a moment, these, these are the ways, Heavenly Father, and including my intercessory prayers for her. How much, how much do you pray for your wife? Sometimes, often, daily. I, I want to I see the word wash her white and clean. I want to teach her, but I also want to pray for her. And, and I, I want to teach and pray for my kids. Chapter 6 of Ephesians, fathers, Verse 4, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's washing them in the word, as it were, and it's also using God's word and praying for them so that in your intercessory prayers for them, you would be like Paul taking your wife and your children into your hands and you're lifting them up before the Father and you are saying, Father, bless them work in their lives, bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you are a man here tonight and you have an unsaved wife, continue to hold her in your hands and lift her before the Lord every day of your life, asking him to save her from eternal perdition. And those precious kids, take those precious kids of yours, one or eight or more, and put them in your arms and say, like Paul's Gentiles, I want to take these precious children and I want them to be wafted as a sacred, holy aroma into your nostrils, acceptable to you, so that you, God, are pleased with the responsibility that I'm carrying out to bring them to a place of faith and repentance. We know it's God's work. But we ought to do everything our, uh, we can in our responsibility to see them come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a man as a priest in his home just like Paul is talking about here in Rome. It includes evangelism. It includes nurture. And it must certainly include the word and prayer. It has to include that. That's, that's what we're doing. This is what it's all about. If you wanted to put it in your outline, courageous churchmen have a calling. There it is, key. A calling. What kind of calling? A calling to be a priest, a spiritual priest, in your home, offering your family to God. Seeing that this responsibility is at the heart of it and at the leadership level of it, our responsibility. So what we're to, this is what we're to do. This is what we're to be. We should be thinking about them and praying for them and praying about them 
seemingly at every turn. Lord, I'm so burdened about this particular child. I don't think he's a Christian. I'm concerned about him. Lord, you know how much I've been praying. I want to lift him before you yet again. And in these intercessory prayers, I'm asking you to to save this boy, to bring him to faith and repentance. And Lord, I, I need help. And all you have to do is turn back to Romans chapter 8, and you have two incredible prayer partners, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who prays at times when we don't know how to pray as we ought, and he then prays with groanings too deep for words. And then just a few, virtually so, verses later in Romans 8.34, you have the idea that we are being dogged, our steps are being dogged relentlessly by the attacks of the evil one who continues to question our salvation and who wants to accuse us before God. Revelation says he wants to accuse the brethren, it says, day and night. And the Bible says that our mediator, the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is also interceding for us. What two phenomenal prayer partners. Ask them for help. Go to them. Ask them to intercede on your behalf to the Father as you are interceding to the Father on behalf of your wife and your children. That's, that's our ministry calling. Before we ever walk out the door, before we ever do ministry elsewhere, and it's not as though we're only doing ministry there, and then if I'm full and sufficient in that kind of ministry, then I minister elsewhere. No, it's not like a one, two, three. It's like spokes in a wheel, right? I have all of these duties. I have all of these responsibilities. And, and they seemingly are all being operated simultaneously. And, and I'm, I'm tired or I, it's difficult or I'm busy or the job expectations are overwhelming. And I, I don't know if I can do this. So use every bit of time. You're in the car. You're in your prayer closet, wherever you might be. If you are in the night watches, laying on your bed, pray to God. Intercede on behalf of your wife and children. That's your ministry calling. That's a calling. You know, there are a lot of guys, a lot of guys that say, I want a wife. I want to find a girl. I want to get married. To God would be the blessing for you not just to say that, but to say that because I want to nurture her. I want to cherish her. I want to love her. I want to bring her to God, as it were, as a fragrant aroma, a, a pleasing, acceptable offering. And I want to bring her to you. If you would give me such a one, I would be most grateful. And I would try to fulfill my ministry calling by praying for her intercessorily. There's a second place that... A man, a spiritual man, is like a priest in his home. And that's in the book of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. This is, this is vital, my friends. This spiritual ministry that, that you and I have as men, 
This is a way in the new covenant ministry of the Spirit for us to act like men, to be strong. This is our leadership role. This is what we are to do. Hebrews chapter 2. And by the way, that idea of intercessory prayer, you say, I didn't see that in Romans 15. You only, you only talked about Paul saying, here are the Gentiles and here's my offering. Yes, that's true. But at the end of that chapter, he says, very matter-of-factly, pray for us. Pray for me. Pray that my, my ministry of presenting these Gentiles would be successful. It's there. Reread that section. Two or three places right there in those closing verses of chapter 15 before he begins to thank all of his ministry partners. He says, pray, pray for us, pray for me, pray that I'll be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Pray for me, even as I'm asking you to pray for these Gentiles, that they would be a sweet aroma to God. Prayers always, my friends, in intercessory ways, it's always lurking in these texts. Always. Hebrews 2 is, is no exception. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, likewise, speaking about the Lord Jesus, partook of the same things. That just means because they are men and women, he became a human being as well. That through death, he might destroy the works of the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For what purpose? He says, verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful market and faithful high priest in the service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In the context of the application of what we're talking about tonight, perhaps you and I could be tempted not to be a spiritual priest in our home. To just go with the flow. Well, Jerry's a great preacher, so I'll just listen to what he has to say. And I'll just shoot an arrow prayer up to the Lord and say, yeah, what he said, do that. And then go on my merry way. Instead of saying, you know, I, I want to ponder that message. I want, to, I want to have it soak in. I want to see where I fall short as a result of what I've been taught. And, and when I am seeing sermon after sermon after sermon do this in my heart, I'm going to be tempted to want to give up. I'm going to be tempted to want to say, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm up for being a spiritual priest in my home. I, I need you merciful and faithful high priest. Yes, you do need that. And you and I need the opportunity to see that this calling has moved in now to a confession, a common confession, that I am saying that doctrine matters. 
and that doctrine is important and that we must believe the same things. And so I am responsible not only to listen to these sermons and to pray back to God intercessory prayers of thankfulness and hopefulness about my family, but I must also stand firm in the faith, 1 Corinthians 16, so that I'm telling my kids about the common confession of the faith of Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know that? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest. Remember, he's just been called a merciful and faithful high priest. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him. So we not only have a, a confession and a calling, but a confession of doctrinal truth. Not just, hey, I go, I go to the right church. I really think I go to the right church. I think I really have the right Christian friends. And I really do think that on my way to work, I can listen to good Christian music. All of those things are good. But I also have to transfer doctrinal truth to my wife and children so that it could be passed down to the next generation and the one after that and the one after that. And it's got to be a common confession. And remember I told you that prayer is sort of lurking all the way through here. Look at the end of chapter 4. Verse 14. Since we have a great high priest, there it is, there's that mention again, of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. There it is again. Remember, the Jews were being heavily persecuted, and they were being challenged to give up such a common confession. And, and the writer to Hebrews is saying, you've got to hold fast to your confession. There's everything in our world right now that says, once you're taught what you're taught, don't teach it to your children because it isn't true, it isn't right, it isn't best. Just get all of your marching orders from the dictates of the world. No, this common confession, we're, we're, we're to hold fast to it. And why is that? For... Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's prayer, my friends, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I think in the context, it includes this, help me by grace as I pray to adhere to the common confession. I don't want to lose the confession. I want to keep it to the end. It was said, of course, of Martin Luther as he lay dying in his hometown, Ersleben. And one of his adjutants in one of those last moments said, Dr. Luther, Dr. Luther, do you still believe and undoubtedly, with just a few moments left, the German said this, Yeah! Yeah! Confidently. Can, can you imagine a man like that who was put out of the Roman church? But he was convinced and convicted that the common confession had to be held fast would have been the perfect time for him to, to waver. 
Maybe Rome is right. Maybe it is an admixture of grace and works. But he says, no, I've, I've jettisoned that. That'll send you to an eternal hell. This is the way to eternal life. This is our common confession. And even in my weakest moments, when my great high priest is sympathizing with my weaknesses, I say, yeah, he will take me to the end. And you know that he, with his beautiful Catherine von Bora, his wife, they had a bunch of kids, and we still talk about him to this day. This is, this is what Hebrews is telling us. And oh, by the way, if Romans 8, 34 says that Jesus is interceding for us, even with the assaults of Satan, look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he, speaking of Jesus again, who, according to verse 24, holds his priesthood permanently because, why? He continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. How does he do this? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. And if I want to be like Jesus, I will make intercession for my people. I'll pray for them. Pray for that wife that you've given me, Lord, and I'll pray for those children if you've given them to me. And if not, if I don't have some, I'll pray for the children of other brothers in the fellowship. And if I don't have a wife, I'll pray for other men who have a wife in the fellowship. And I will pray, I will intercede. And if I have them, I will pray and intercede all the more. Sam Waldron, same kind of thing, seeing this need to, to intercede successfully and faithfully and penetratingly and sacrificially and sensitively. He says this, this is, this is so good. A priest should also intercede with sensitivity. Hebrews 5.2 says of the high priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And the verse is referring to what we call sensitivity in our day. While our culture often thinks of sensitive men as weak, our Lord himself is a compassionate and sensitive high priest, as it says in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Sensitivity, Sam Waldron says, like this will lead to discernment with regard to the spiritual needs and sins of our families. Job was perceptive in this way. He knew that even legitimate celebrating and feasting could on the occasion cause grievous sins. Although he may not have actually seen anything sinful, he said, Job 1.5, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And so he interceded for them. Interceded for them. And even at the end of Job in chapter 42, even with the bad counselors that Job had, God says, I don't believe any of them. I believe Job. And so here's what I'm asking. Job, intercede for them. Intercede for them. This is, this is what our common confession leads us to do. 
we, we go before the Lord and we take them in our arms and we, we put them in God's lap and we say, Lord, use me as their teacher. You say, well, I don't know much. Well, find someone who knows more than you do and ask them to tell you what they know. And you turn around and with what you now know, find somebody who knows less than you do and teach them what you know. And since you have kids from the womb to the tomb, they're not going to know as much as you. Teach them what you know. And for your wife, who according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, that same book that we started with, who said, if the women have any questions in the gathered saints of the church worship service, let them not ask questions here, but let them ask their husbands at home. I think we better have some answers. And that drives you to come to Grace and Granite at 6 a.m. It drives you to come to this church worship service both Sunday evening and Sunday night. It drives you to study your own Bible. It drives you to study good, solid Christian books and to buy every one of those books that are on that rack out there and to read and read. Why? Because as Al Mohler said, in his great book on leadership, leaders are readers. Leaders are readers. It doesn't mean you have to read everything, but it just need, means you have to read some things so that you are bringing your people to the throne of grace, asking God for grace for them. And you can do that by reading and studying the word of the living God. And this is, this is where spiritual sacrifices come in. You say, where are they in Hebrews? Look at chapter 12. Look at chapter 12. This sermon will end sometime. It's just not yet. Verse 28 of Hebrews 12. Therefore, let us be grateful. This is the writer to Hebrews. This is sort of a big, long sermon, one sermon. He's coming to the end and he says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom, Hebrews 12, 28, that cannot be shaken and, let, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. There's that language again, that sacrificial language from the Old Testament, with reverence and awe, reverence and fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And what kind of sacrifices are acceptable to God? Look at chapter 13, verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood, his propitiation, his satisfaction, his atonement for our sins. Verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. There's a spiritual sacrifice. There it is. You're praising God. You're talking to God and you're talking to others. Namely, your, your wife and your children. You're continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. You're telling your wife how much you praise God and how much you thank Him for her and how much you thank her for allowing God to teach through you from that flawed vessel, that man who's attempting to act like a man and to be strong and courageous. And so I'm going to offer up my praise to God. Verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. 
You say, but where's the, where's the prayer? It's lurking. Look at verse 18. Pray for us. Pray for us, he says. That's what we say as men, don't we? Pray. Pray for us. Pray for me to be the spiritual leader in my home. And, and then he gives a benediction. Verse 20, now... May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing. There, there's that language again in his sight that's acceptable through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, my friends, we've got a calling and, and we have a confession. And thirdly and finally, we have a community to do it with. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. This is, a, this is a community work. This is not us being able nor effective by doing it alone. We've got to have each other. We've got to depend on each other. Notice the, the spiritual sacrifice language in 1 Peter 2 where it says in verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. That's Jesus. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And for what purpose? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he says, if we didn't get it enough, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I say, yes, yes it does in the household of God, but yes it also does in the nuclear family of God. Now, I know some of you may be here, and I'm trying to cover all the bases. You're divorced. You've been deserted. Or you've, you've experienced the death of a spouse. Yes. It's what happens at times. It's, it's agonizing. It's, it's sometimes a, a sweet mom, a sweet lady who's trying to educate her kids and try to be a spiritual leader for them. She longs for that male leadership. Yes, it can be backbreaking. There's, there's going to be a lot of tears and perhaps the Lord may bring someone and perhaps he won't. But when your mother and father, the psalmist says, forsake you, the Lord will take you up. The Lord will come alongside you and he'll help you. It may not be ideal in the sense of the nuclear family, but it's apparently in God's providence and purpose a way for he himself to come to you in ways that might be so perfect for your situation. Cry out to him. If you're the, if you're the intercessor for your people as a female, pray to the Lord. I know you have. This is, this is why Sam Waldron's closing comment is so good. If Christ's example teaches us that we must pray for our families, it also teaches us that he prays for his family. 
If his example shows us that we must attempt to effectively pray down blessings on our families, it also demonstrates that he sovereignly prays down blessings on his own family. And here's the supremely comforting part. Christ's prayers are always heard. He prays for us as a part of his family that we might pray for our own families. So in whatever situation you're in, in whatever context you find yourself, God will take you up. And if you're that mom or uncle or grandmother or grandfather or aunt or friend and the home has been shattered by whatever circumstances, God will not leave us bereft of help. He will come to us. He will guide us. His purpose, as he loves us from all eternity, is to take us up in his arms and who delights in answering our prayers. And for that nuclear family where it's the mom and the dad and the kids and the dog, no cats, and... And you have this nuclear family that looks fairly normal. And if you're that husband, and that prayer is lurking somewhere in this text, and I see it in chapter 3, and I see it right there in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's the community of our own nuclear family, or it's the community of God's family extended, and the, the husband, the spiritual priest of his home, is understanding his wife and loving her according to knowledge so that his prayers would not only be heard, but they would be effectual. They'd be efficacious. And for you and, and for me, that's the kind of prayers we want from our God. We want him to hear our prayers, and he wants him, he wants us to answer those prayers so that when that husband comes to his God, there's no blockage. There's no separation. He's, he's not saying, I would otherwise want to answer your prayers, but you're not working to understand her in such a way, or you are at odds and in conflict with your children. And when you come to me and ask, perhaps Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear me. So confess all known sin and ask God to give you the kind of intercessory prayer life as a priest being a man in your home so that God would quite literally at times see and hear through omniscient x-ray eyes and ears the sincerity of your heart who will then throw blessings from heaven your way that would ultimately splash not only on your own family, but on the family of God as well. Oh, what, a, what an opportunity, right? Let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to give us 
this kind of life, this kind of hope. Heavenly Father, thank you for an extended evening tonight to talk about who we are as men, knowing that we'll even be receiving many more men here to be influenced by us and vice versa. And we pray that this spiritual exercise of being a spiritual priest as a man in his home would would filter through our calling and our confession and our community because this is what courageous men, courageous church men, this is what we do. This is our role. Help us to do it better and help us to do it well so that you would be pleased, Christ would be honored, and the church would be edified and the home would be strengthened and the local body of believers would see men stepping up to a place that they should have been before. May it be so for your grand glory and through your incredible grace. Amen.